Dear wine lovers, does your passion for wine extend beyond drinking pleasure into the world of investment? You found the perfect podcast. If you want to know how to finance your love for wine by investing in it, tune in and get some unique insights. While listening, we strongly suggest to open a great bottle as we do. It's a pleasure to welcome Luca Höfer to our podcast today. Luca holds a master in wine management, has extensive knowledge and experience in the wine trading business and has recently taken over Steinfeld's wine auctions, the oldest Swiss auction house specialized on wine and spirits. Luca, welcome to our episode. Thank you very much. As always, let's start off with our first question. Uh, what is your connection to wine and how did you fall into the wine barrel? So I grew up in a family where the dinner was very important. The family members came together to enjoy conversations and a good meal. And here we go, a glass of wine. Already from a relatively young age, and I was occasionally allowed to smell and taste wine. That's where my interests come from. During my studies at the University of Gastronomic Sciences in De Lange, in the heart of the Piedmont region, I was able to visit several producers to broaden my knowledge. I visited maybe three to four producers every week and so got to know the region very well. And then also during my studies, we ran a pop-up restaurant in St. Moritz with friends where we welcomed 12 to 16 people every Thursday evening. That's where I started to bring up wines from the Piemonte and this later led to the establishment of my wine import company, Barbarossa. After this, a year later, we opened La Scarpetta in Samoritz, and I was in charge of the wine program and import. Scarpetta by now has become an institution in Samoritz where wine lovers meet and also go to share a great bottle of wine, mostly also with us. Today, I help several restaurants and hotels, especially in Samoritz, with their wine programs. And from 2022 to 2023, I did my OIV Master in Wine Management, which was based in Montpellier. But I traveled around the world, getting to know all the aspects of the wine business and where I was able to connect with many players of the sector. From small producers to the big conglomerates, with journalists, institutions, trading houses and many wine lovers. I had the chance to taste over 3,000 wines from all over the globe in a year, which really deepened my understanding of wine. I always had the chance to have great mentors and friends along the way who taught me the appreciation of different regions and wines. And without them, I wouldn't be here now. And yes, I love to taste every kind of wines from big producers and small producers. And I think it's a beverage that connects people. Yeah, absolutely. We totally agree on that. As mentioned in the beginning, you recently took over Steinfest uh, wine auctions. That's a rather unusual thing to do for uh, regular people. Can you maybe explain how this all happened? So during my master, I wrote, I had to write the thesis. And that's when I came to Steinfeld's wine auctions, because I wrote my master thesis about wine auctions in general. And I did an internship at Steinfeld's. During this internship, I gained uh, deep insights into the wine auction business in general and Steinfels with its extraordinary team in particular. The owners of Steinfels, Mark and Corinne Fischer, and I came to the idea that I might be a suitable successor to whom they could hand over their, this business. 
that's when we entered into the negotiations and half a year later, I was able to acquire the company. I'm very grateful to the Fishers for the opportunity and in particular to Mark Fisher, who stays in the company and coaches me and introduces me to important clients. I mean, uh, that's a huge uh, step probably. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, what is like fascinating for you for the wine auction business in general? What makes it special for you that you were like so much into that to, to realize that step? Maybe um, every day is a different day. You see all the wines that you ever dreamt of. They pass through your hands. You take pictures of them. You describe them. You scroll through the internet trying to find out everything about the small producer you don't know. You have to price the wines correctly. You scroll through other auction uh, results. And it's just a very broad uh, task every day from taking pictures to describing to speaking to clients to pick up wines to package wine and i have a great team but it's also cool that i'm able to do everything so the people actually know that they know what i'm doing and when i'm delegating something they know that i did it myself as well so it's just fascinating to be in this position yeah really cool um can you walk us through the process of buying and selling wines through an auction, maybe with special focus of the delivery, handling, etc. of the wines. So let's start with the selling. On the selling side, so we often get an email or a phone from a client and they often send us an Excel list from our website and then we proceed to do an estimation. We call them to discuss the estimation And then they decide if they either they want to consign us the wine or we pick them up. And then once the wine is here, the wine comes to the seller. We take pictures of every bottle. We describe every bottle. And then the bottle goes at least three times through hands. So there's a triple check on every bottle. And after the auction, people will pay their bill and after a week the wine will be shipped or is ready for pickup so and then after the control the wines will go into auction and then three weeks after the auction the consigner gets a letter from us and then the money is sent to his account on the buying side people can sign up online and we have uh, different kind of auctions and then they can fill out either if they want to pick up the wines or if they want to have their wines delivered. And once the auction is completed, the next day they will get their invoice. They pay the invoice and as soon as they have paid the invoice, the wine is ready for pickup or for delivery. We set, try to send out the wines twice a week. So the people who pay the bill pretty soon, they will get their wine immediately. We deliver smaller parcels with uh, Planzer. And the bigger ones will come on a pallet with Imbach and we're happy with them and they do a great job. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, when we came here to uh, Luca's office, it was amazing to see as well the seller. There were like so many positions and we were uh, amazed how, how uh, many bottles were like standing and were like ready to make photos and to write them down to the list so that the buyers have the possibility to see what's the fill level and uh, how the conditions of the bottles are 
And it's a huge effort to do that. Uh, so how do you arrange that with the team? How is it like in your weekly or daily uh, life? How is it going? So we always try to, if somebody takes a picture of a bottle and describes it the first time, he's not allowed to control it on the second time. So there are always at least two eyes who see the bottle. Because seeing, let's say for a big auction, we'll have 15,000, 20,000 bottles and you get the rhythm with it. But it's always good if you have somebody who has your back who controls it with, so you have a four eye simple. And yeah, I think we also hear from a lot of our clients that they're happy that we describe the bottle so uh, precise and they can rely on our description. It's uh, every day we at least have two people in the cellar, one taking pictures and the other one controlling the bottles or one preparing the bottles for the picture. So unpacking them, putting them in the right order. So it's uh, like a clockwork. You don't always do the same thing, but sometimes you take pictures and the other time you control the bottles that we're taking pictures of. It's a pretty uh, complex uh, clockwork down there, but it's, uh, it's working very well. And especially the communication with the office has to be on point because when we change a little in wine, it's so difficult. You have small things on a bottle which change and the value of a bottle changes five times. And so we have to be very careful not to miss a vintage or a premier cru or something like that. And here for everyone who says that the commissions are too high, <laughs> of the, the auction houses commissions are too high. Here's the proof that it's uh, actually hard work and <laughs> behind it. Um, yeah, really nice. Maybe uh, you mentioned before, uh, just quickly on that, that you have online auctions and also on-site auctions. Yes. Maybe talk a little bit on how that works. So we have uh, two different kinds of auctions. We have like smaller e-auctions at the end of the month where we have approximately 400 lots. The bottle value varies from, let's say, 10 to 200, 300 francs, but let's say 150 is the sweet spot for the bottles. And then we have four times a year bigger auctions, two-day auctions with every day we have 1,400 lots with higher values. So there the approximate average value of a lot is 600 francs. And there it is online on Friday. And on Saturday, it's on-site, but also online. Before COVID, we used to have approximately 80 to 100 people on-site. And now when we swapped to online, we have maybe 10 to 15 people on-site and we have 150 to 200 people online. It changed the, the work a lot, but the prices we achieved being online are greater than just on-site because... We have clients all over the world. They don't have to be in person. They don't have to send their estimates, uh, their bids before. It's just easier for everybody. It takes away the romanticism from auctioning because you sit here, you speak into a computer being filmed and you see 20 people are watching on site and maybe 20 online and the rest are only bidding, not even watching the camera. Um, so do I understand it right? The shift was like the online auctions were just started during COVID? The smaller online auctions existed before. They're automated auctions, but that we have all the big auctions also online that shifted during COVID because COVID hit and you had to swap immediately because otherwise you would have had 
nobody in the room and the auction for 1.5 million or like 2 million wines and nobody could buy it. They could only bid from home without seeing how much the other guys were bidding. Wow. I mean, what's probably really interesting for most of our listeners, especially when you invest in wine after a certain period, you hopefully made some money and you want to sell and there are different channels how to sell wine. Why should some collectors or investors choose to sell the wines through an auction? What would be the most reasonable point to mention here? So, um, as there are many global wine professionals, collectors and wine lovers who are signed up at Steinfels, the wine always finds their real market value. And as a wine auction house, we don't cherry pick. So if you come to us with your collection of not so great wine, maybe, or not so famous wine, we will take the wine and we'll auction it off, maybe next to your big wines. If you go to a, let's say, fine wine merchant, he will only pick out the wines that he wants to have, and you will be stuck with the other part of your collection. And we have a broad network around the world with merchants in Hong Kong, merchants in Singapore, in China as well, Brazil, USA, and all of Europe. And so the prices we can achieve are pretty high. And you never have to be scared that the wine slips through the eyes of the buyers because we have two, three, four hundred people bidding and nobody will miss an opportunity for a bargain. Obviously, sometimes you can buy something cheap, but normally the price established is the price that is paid at the moment on the market. So you have an international client base from the buying side? but from the selling side as well, or is it only Switzerland? We also have consigners from, let's say, Italy, Germany, Austria, sometimes also further away. The problem is being in Switzerland, you always have a border in between, you have VAT in between, you have importation in between, so it's a bit complicated. We're about to find out a solution for consigners from abroad, but this will be a surprise for next year, or let's say for this year, because we're already in 2024. But we are lucky being in Switzerland, having a lot of big collectors and a lot of fine wines being purchased in Switzerland and sold in Switzerland. We have a pretty Swiss-based consigner. And from the buying side, you mentioned, are there... Are they uh, mostly private collectors or also merchants or how is that? We have a lot of private Swiss clients and then we have a lot of merchants abroad, especially the big countries like UK and Hong Kong and Singapore and China. They're mostly merchants who buy and in Brazil also. In the USA, mostly private people due to the complicated import scheme they have but i would say we have 50 percent of the wines which are sold in switzerland and 50 percent abroad especially in let's say a bit more difficult times the private swiss client is pretty important because being in switzerland we're pretty lucky that also if outside of switzerland things are going pretty bad people in switzerland still 
have interest and money to buy fine wines? Yeah, I mean, from the selling side, what we were pointing out as well or noticed from auctions we participate or had an eye on, I mean, there is the act of bidding for wine. Uh, in our opinion, it has as well the psychological aspect somehow. Um, so you see like the, the price going up and it triggers a dopamine rush and the fear of missing out. Do you see as well this aspect? So maybe there is a result that the transaction or the hammer price, you call it, is higher than probably at another sales channel. I mean, that would be interesting for the sellers, right? Yes, it's a very good question. So in the heat of an auction battle, sometimes the bidders develop a strong uh, will to win and acquire a specific wine. This sometimes leads to prices above, above uh, market value. But this is mostly when two collectors want to have one specific lot. The prices can go, obviously, through the roof, especially if the wine is not available on the market. And switching from on-site to online, we also saw that people were less, like they still get into a rush, but you're sitting in front of the computer. So it is a bit more relaxed. You can also just put in your pre-bids online and uh, don't look at it anymore. Like a lot of merchants do, they put in their bids on Wednesday and then Monday they receive the bill and they're happy. But I think uh, I'm also a client of wine auctions and I know the thrill you get when you bid on a wine, you want to have it and then you think, oh, I can go one more, one more. And then you get the bill and you see you could have bought it cheaper on Wine Searcher. So it happens. But I think especially the super crazy prices are for wines which are not on the market and two people want it. Then they develop the price for the wine at the exact moment. So. But overall, you would like say that most clients or most buyers uh, bet like for or bid for a price, quite reasonable market price. It's funny. You can see really the there are two different kind of bidders. You have bidders who know the price and bidders who just want to have the wine. The people who just want to have the wine, they bid what they want and the other have a clear limit. And you see a lot of people put in the same bid. So they would pay the same price for it, but not more. And then you have a, maybe a private collector who wants to try this wine once and he's happy to pay 100 francs more because for him it's not a business, for him it's just pleasure. And it's also nice because people, they can buy a wine they always heard of in the newspaper or something. They can buy a bottle and they don't really know what the price is. They know that our estimate is approximately the market price. Let's say the upper estimate is the market price. And so they trust us that we don't put the upper price way too high. We obviously, it can't be always true, but we try our best to help, let's say the consigner, but also the buyer with the estimate we do, that they really know what they get. And the buyer also knows he can bit uh, among this uh, range but sometimes we are wrong and the wine is worth more but we sell let's say 12 to 15,000 lots a year so one percent of mistake in the estimation is right and nowadays with the price fluctuating a lot it's 
very difficult to estimate, especially Burgundy wines at the moment. We are very careful with the estimate and the prices go higher. But we saw in the last two auctions that the really expensive bottles are difficult to price and it's even more difficult to find a buyer for the expensive wines. Absolutely. Absolutely interesting. Let's get maybe to a more technical part, but also very important for a seller, and that is the fee structure. Can you maybe elaborate on, on your fee structure for the buyer and for the seller? So let's uh, start again on the seller's side. With the seller, it depends a lot about the quantity and the quality, but also the regularity of a consigner. The fees ranges from 10 to 20%. And let's say if somebody comes up with a unique collection, which we sell over several auctions, there can also be a special agreement. But uh, it depends a lot on how much work we have to put into Sometimes we go pick up the wine, but we put 1% more for commission. So it's really a feel of how much work we have to put into cataloging and everything. It's always a negotiation with the seller. On the buyer side, it's a lot easier. It's for everybody, it's the same. If it's a merchant or a private client, it's on the big auction, we have 12% plus 10% per lot. 10 francs, sorry. And then on the smaller e-auction, at the end of the month, we have 20%, but no lot fee. And if you calculate it, 150 to 200 francs is the sweet spot where the 10 francs and 12% are better for the buyer. If you go above 170 francs, that's why we have this limit from about 150 to 200 francs on the e-auction, because it's fair for the buyer and the seller. What probably would be as well, yeah, just take a take a sip. We have here a, a blind tasting going on as well. Luca is speaking mostly, so we have more time to drink. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what, what's as well uh, nice to hear from your part, the question about which regions or which wines play the most significant role in your auction success. Are there like... Yeah, some wines you would mention they're selling oftentimes or maybe as well some regions which tend to be most liquid. I think we can start with the region because it's a pretty easy one. Nobody wants to hear it, but it's still Bordeaux, the most important region by far. And there we always have a lot of Mutor Rothschild. We have always whatever vintage you want, uh, you will find it on the auction either by single bottle or six bottles, three bottles, but we mostly have at least 50 lots of Rothschild. And then Burgundy surely has caught up, despite the smaller production quantities, but it's very difficult because there are so few bottles available. And yeah, for the Swiss market, it's very interesting. Swiss wine is going very well. Compared uh, to two years ago, the prices have skyrocketed i would say and also smaller champagne houses such as Celos and stuff like that two years ago they were at half of the price than they are now and what we saw in the last year was that the the fill level of the bottle and the condition of the bottle is very important two years ago people were buying whatever they could to resell and nowadays they really 
are focused on having a perfect bottle with the perfect label because people are more picky. And yes, Bordeaux, although people say they don't drink Bordeaux anymore, it is still, it is still. From quantity-wise, I would even say 70% is Bordeaux, maybe, maybe 60, but a lot. Especially Bordeaux we sell by case of 12, six bottles. Burgundy, you have one bottle here, three bottles there. You never have proper 12 bottles of Burgundy. Quantity-wise, I think at least 60-70% is Bordeaux. And what to say if we exclude, or are there as well, some white wines? I mean, that's maybe interesting as well, because Raymond and me, we were discussing sometimes, like, what's the potential for white wines? How long to store and then to sell it? How does it look here for an auction? Do you have sometimes white wines? I mean, we exclude champagnes, but... Uh... No, no, we have, we have several burgundy whites. We have German Rieslings. You have two names. They are expensive and the rest is struggling a bit with the prices. And then Bordeaux whites we have. The big names, Haute-Briand and stuff like that always goes well. Swiss white wines they are a small percentage of the... Because I think the problem is with uh, the burgundy white wines, nobody really knows how long you can keep them or you want to keep them when they oxidize and how they actually should taste when they're old. <laughs> and yeah, the German Riesling, the sweet, I mean, sweet white wines, they have a really tough time at the moment. I hope they will come back because I think it's a great product that you can keep forever. But yeah, it's difficult for white wines. And can maybe um, say something about the age of the wine? Um, because we were talking before about that the wines also got a little bit less aged. That they bring wines that are less aged. Can you say something about this? Yeah, I think it's funny because we have different types of consigner. We have consigner who sell the bottles of their father, so they sell old Bordeaux they bought a long time ago. And then we have uh, people who just buy and sell, buy and sell, so they get something from the merchant. They bring us very young wines and, uh, for example, Bordeaux from 2019, 2020, which are meant to be kept for the next 20 years before you drink them but we see everything. So the age itself at the moment plays a minor role because I think we have clients who want to buy wines to drink. So let's say a Bordeaux from the nice vintages from 82, 86, 89, or we have people who buy a case of 2020 Bordeaux because they think the price is a bit better than on the market. And then you have the wines you can't find on the market like some rare burgundies and champagnes you can't buy in a shop so people just buy it on auction so i would say the age itself plays a minor role as the different buyers have different tastes so that's a good point if you want to sell young or old wines we have the clients for everybody yeah interesting because uh, i mean auctions in my view or as i understood the auctions before is like that you mostly buy older wines and it's interesting to hear that you also have a client base that are willing to buy younger wines. I mean, the problem there that I see maybe is that there's that the scarcity does not kick in that much with the younger wines because 
I mean, Bordeaux 2020, you can probably buy them with a lot of other merchants as well. So, yeah, but it's interesting to hear that they're going well as well. I think it's funny what you say, because mostly people buying those bottles are merchants. <laughs> okay. Because they know the price, they speculate on the wine going up and they buy. There you have exactly, you know, the market value and the price won't go above that, but it will meet the market value. So if you bought it for a good bargain, you will make some money. And otherwise, maybe you need some cash to pay the bill of uh, the next merchant. Uh, we have everything. So, Luca, let's make another point uh, you mentioned when uh, we visited the cellar. You mentioned that there are as well some counterfeited wines you sometimes have to sort out. Is it a big part and how do you recognize it? I mean, the question behind this as well, why people still bring them because you have a good eye probably on that. Yeah, tell us how it's going with these wines. So as most of us know, it is a problem in the fine wine world. We have the luck that we have a big database of uh, wines we have sold with the labels and the capsules and corks and everything. We have people with 20 plus years experience who are here who have seen many bottles pass through their hands. And if we have doubt, we also contact professionals or those and domains directly to ask them. I would say it's a problem we have the whole wine market has and we try to do our best to sort everything out we look at every bottle at least three times we check the provenance if it's a very rare bottles we ask them for the invoices if where they bought it and everything and it's a serious topic we try our best and every year we take out 50 bottles which are fake maybe 100 we tell the consigner and then we either destroy them or we have to give it back to them and then most of them want to know why they're fake or what happened to them but mostly when we're unsure about the bottle we prefer to give it back to the consigner or say oh we don't want to sell it because if you have a client abroad who opens a bottle and you have a problem with it, it's pretty complicated to solve it from Switzerland across uh, the globe. As most of the people know, there are several uh, security features on the newer bottles and also the paper quality of older bottles, the ink used, the capsule material used. So there are a lot of hints that you can see if the bottle is counterfeited or not. We have specialists who come to us who want to see the bottles that are fake just for their own knowledge and we can rely on them if we have a problem they will help us we can call them we can send pictures we can call experts other merchants to come and have a look and yeah, you work together with like all the forces you have in the fields like with experts and yes yeah yes we also had uh, somebody i'm not sure i'm allowed to tell but uh, somebody who works uh, in a professional uh not only counterfeited wines uh, field. So they told us what we are allowed to do when we face those bottles. Thank you very much, Luca. Maybe to conclude this episode, how did the dip in the wine market affect the wine auctions? 
Can you say something about this? How do you see also the next year, 2024? So the dip affected the wine auctions very much because the wine auctions are a mirror of the real values of a bottle. So what happens on the market will happen also in auctions. I think that uh, we already recovered a bit from the real crash because it came down pretty quick and then it stabilized where it is now. I think the temporary dip of the Chinese economy has a great impact on fine wine market. And the Chinese economy seems to have little sign of recovery. I'm not sure that this year already they will be back and buying wines in big quantity, but I'm very positive that in the upcoming uh, years, China will be back. And so the prices will also go up again. I think that the wine business itself has to rethink on how to price wines, especially in Bordeaux. They, I think, have a problem at the moment how they come out with super expensive wines. Although they haven't sold the last two vintages, that will be a complicated task for them. Especially on Premier, right? Yes, on Premier. And I mean, they all have pretty big stocks and they will need to find a solution for that. And yeah, I think I'm very positive for the upcoming year. Although there's a little shadow because of the global political and the economical situation. But I think the wine is a long-term game. So you stand through crisis and as long as you don't drink all the bottles you have in your cellar, you will be doing fine. And if you need bottles, we're always here to sell also all the vintages if you had finished them in later crisis. And yeah, I think it's a difficult time at the moment. But in Switzerland, we are still pretty lucky to have a good... Uh, still uh, gastronomy going on, restaurants are working, people are buying wine, people are drinking wine. Yes, we're lucky to be in Switzerland and to have great clients and great consigners who are willing to give us wine and willing to buy wines, despite the political and economical issues. Cool. Thank you very, very much, Luca. Yeah, we're at the end of the podcast. See you the next time. Thank you very much and good luck with your further podcasts.